Hey, welcome to Minor Details. I'm Nick. And I'm James. The only uh, industrial design podcast on the internet hosted by us. In the world. In the world. Is the world the internet? The World Wide Web. The World Nicholas. Wide Web. The World Wide Web. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, this week, uh, we ha- we have some updates this week. What did you do this past week, James? Well, it's uh, funny you should ask, Nick. Uh, right after we recorded our last podcast, I went home to find that my metal print of my bottle opener had arrived. Oh, nice. And it was a very exciting day indeed. Okay. Uh, did you test it out? I did test did it you, out. Did you pop up on a cold one? Oh, <laughs> popped it so hard. What was it, a, a cream soda? It was a Guinness. It was a Guinness. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it worked. It uh, is great. The only thing is, I think it might be on a little bit on the heavy side, and I think it might be too thick. I currently have it at about two millimeters okay. thickness. So I went ahead and ordered two more, one at one millimeter of thickness and another at 1.5 millimeter. Oh, okay. So going to test it out, see see how it works, and also in different metals, different uh, finishes. That's exciting, James. Yeah. What um, What's your plan for that long term? I mean, I'd like to get it up on Shapeways in its final form and and sell it. Um, so, yeah, and, and I'm also exploring some alternative manufacturing methods. Um, so I'm currently in the process of just getting into looking into those alternative processes. Okay, okay. Very exciting, very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Nick? Uh, well, yeah, I had a few few interesting things this week. Um, my shirt, my shirt for Almost Object came in. It looks good. I like it. Um, they didn't. They did everything right. I'm going to tweak a few things uh, and talk to my supplier about, you know, the price and everything, and get that yeah, all worked talk out. Talk to your supplier. Huh? Talk to my supplier. <laughs> um, I'm excited about it. I think it's a cool shirt. So stay tuned for that. And so the big thing, the big thing I'm excited about, James, to tell you, <laughs> is that I visited a VR museum this week. Is this like a silent disco? Uh. Maybe. No, I don't know. Okay, so there's this guy. Um, his name is Robin Stetham, I believe. Robin, right? He he was he had studied industrial design, and now he's doing UX UI for this virtual museum. It's not a place. It's not a physical place. It's a digital space, right? Mm-hmm. So I downloaded the program, and you know, I he sent me the 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 downward key and everything, and um visited and it's filled with beautiful pieces of vr artwork yeah. and it's really interesting because it's it feels like a real museum like there's architecture like it's a nice modern museum and there's, there's like plaques on the wall you can like go over to the wall and read the plaque and you can like donate you know five dollars if you want to to the museum um bitcoin only <laughs> yeah bitcoin and uh you on that uh you on that tron coin tron coin <laughs> Oh my gosh! Okay, no, I no, need I'm all the currencies. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, wait, so but this was a museum you visited in your bedroom, right? Yeah, I put on my VR headset and I visited the museum. Um, the exciting thing though is that I met the guy because he in had he, VR. Yeah, he had messaged me on this. So this museum, it's called the Museum of Other 
other realities. Oh man, I'm gonna mess that up. I forget. It's it's a VR museum and it's still in beta. And you know he co-founded it with his other uh, partner, and I'm really excited for it because it's maybe after the pod I'll let you try it because it's really interesting, James. I feel like you'd enjoy it. Um, it just kind of opens up my eyes to the future. Like it's VR is the future. If you weren't yeah. thinking it now, well, visit this VR, VR museum. <laughs> well, can I ask how is the VR museum gift shop? Because he doesn't have a gift shop yet. We should. I should suggest that. I should just suggest that. I I have to be really honest right now. My favorite part of every museum (laughs) is the gift shop. Well, that's because we're designers. We love those little trinkets and things. Well, yeah. I mean, especially like I've visited design museums where you can't touch anything. Yeah. The only thing you can touch is in the gift shop, and I'm like, what was the point of the museum? (laughs) I just want to go and touch things. Well, in VR, you can touch everything. You can even hop onto the artwork. There's some artwork that I like dove into. I won't spoil it all for you, but oh my gosh! So it was it wasn't just like you know a a, a painting on a wall. No, no, this is this all this is VR artwork. Yes, it's, this is all this is a VR museum that holds artwork created in VR. Mm. Um, and we've talked about doing a little installation for me as well. So you know, I'll visit and kind of set up the room and everything. Oh, like it, cool. Like in, in actually installing this artwork in the VR museum. Wow. But it's all virtual. Wow. But we talk about it as if it's a real museum, cool. which is interesting. Yeah. And I, and I met the guy, too. Like, we, we met up in the museum. It was just us, too. Like, it's not public yet. So. In, the, in the museum cafe. Well, there, I mean, it wasn't the cafe, just lobby. But <laughs> this is like... Okay. Cafe, gift shop, uh, good suggestions, good suggestions. <laughs> I'm just, I just got really excited about it, and it's hard to explain... Um, unless you actually try it, but I don't know. You maybe look it up, uh, Museum of OR, and I know that's what it's called, but I don't know. I can't remember what OR we'll stands for. We'll link to it on the website. Yes. And what is that website. website, Nick? Oh, that is minordetailspodcast.com. Nice. <laughs> nice. So check that out. Yeah. And then um, what else is going on? Well, I thought we might just uh, announce kind of this big MakerBot thing we have going on. Yeah. Um, MakerBot has selected us for a design competition here in New York for Design Month or Design Week. It's become a month. And they've selected a few industrial designers around the city to come up with a product that can be 3D printed, but also that can just help improve your daily life. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, James and I were selected, and we're going to make some cool stuff. And we're, Yeah, and we're going to go head-to-head in yeah. the Thunderdome. <laughs> That's true. We are going head-to-head. It's a competition. There's one winner, and uh, everyone else is a loser. God. I'm just you kidding. I, th- I think an, there's other. I think you there's can't like, be an almost winner, oh, Nick. Okay. Well, I, I'll have to leave almost object behind for this one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exciting. I got I got my new baby. I got a little printer here. Yeah. Um. And then you're getting your printer here yeah, soon. Yeah, I'm looking hopefully. forward to it. Although I'm really nervous because, um, as you might have known from previous podcasts, I own a cat, and the MakerBot replicator is a fully open printer. Right. And if if you know anything about cats, cats love boxes, <laughs> and it's and I feel like. I need to somehow secure this printer away from the cat because I'm thinking, A, it's either going to start just resting on the printer bed, hopefully not while it's printing. Right, hopefully not. 
and uh, and also potentially SWAT at the extruder, which is which would be another unfortunate accident. So, um, yeah, I think uh, some some security is is needed okay. for the printer. Logistics, there's some logistics to figure out, but it's okay. We're yeah. we're super pumped about it. Yes, and yeah, I mean, I, my my printer has some logistical errors too. I mean, my printer's right next to my bed. Because oh. I just, you know, I sublet a room in a, an apartment, so I, I'm going to have to, like, sleep next to it. You live in New York <laughs> City. You need to learn how to sleep next to a subway track. <laughs> a subway track, a, a trash truck driving by. Yeah, and absolutely. I've, I've gotten a lot better. Um, I'm still not a very, I'm still a very light sleeper, though. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it works. We call those urban lullabies. <laughs> now we have uh, tech lullabies. 3D printing mm-hmm. lullabies. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, we wanted to talk about, a, you know, we always like to talk about a big topic every week. And today's topic is, why is sketching so important? Oof. It's an important topic. It's a big one. I mean, sketching is a big thing. It's it's huge. And Especially if you draw on 11 by 17 or larger. It's a big thing. Well, <laughs> literally, yes. <laughs> okay. And And also, why is sketching great for getting a job? I so sketching for me I'm all about ideas right Mm -hmm. we talked about how I'm an idea guy and you're an idea guy too I think so there's a lot of people out there that like fancy sketching right you know and that's great and I admire that I mean that's a great skill to have to be able to sketch really quickly and create these amazing renders Um, but for me sketching is all about getting my brain to subconsciously kind of flow out onto paper kind of like mm. a recording of your brain i feel like did we mention this before i don't know i think we've talked about this of how like when vr gets to a certain level that it's implanted in our brain or when just computers are implanted in our brain we can just think of ideas instead of having to sketch ideas mm-hmm. so that's really this that's really what i think um sketching is all about and ha- how why it's so important especially in getting your first job um i you know for me i think that portfolios the thing that grabs me about portfolios is good ideas mm. i don't know why i'm just an idea guy you know what you know who, what i should have been james an idea man an, an, an inventor that's what they call idea. oh an okay do you think i should be an inventor i mean aren't you that's an interesting topic. Maybe we should talk about. Yeah. But I, I feel like with sketching, it is, you know, far beyond the most efficient way to uh, talk about your ideas, to display your ideas. Right. I mean, and I also feel like it's incredibly valuable to be able to sketch those ideas in meetings with non-designers. I feel like it, it's a moment in those types of meetings where you you kind of set yourself apart from right. everyone else. Right. Mm-hmm. I've, I've often been in a meeting with non-designers and we'll be discussing an idea. And if I can sketch it out really quickly so that everybody understands, yeah, it's like a magic trick. It, it totally is. And you know what I've always said is that the person with the pen has the power whoa it's true though it's true if you think about it think about all like the team meetings you've been in if you're the one actually doing if you're the one actually writing 
guess what? You get to do whatever you want. It's mm-hmm. it's you're in control. Yeah. Someone can true. someone can say, Hey, add that, add this and you're like, Okay, I'll do that but then you just add that like one thing that you wanted and not the rest. Yeah. But no one says anything because they're just they're all talking. But yeah. you, you have the pen. And, yeah. And guess what? Talking fades. Pen stays forever. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just I get a little romantic about yeah. design there, but and and I don't know if they've put it out recently, but I remember Core I, I think it was Core Flot or Core seventy seven put out um sort of a a PDF of and, and and one part of it was a chart that said kind of what employers were looking for out of college graduates. Oh, I haven't seen this. In terms of like skills. Okay. And number one was sketching. Really? Yeah. Well, I think that's a big thing that advanced design sketching is trying to kind of push. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was kind of their big uh, goal because they're all about sketching. If you guys don't know advanced design sketching, it's a... a uh, what what do you want a group organization community yeah, yeah community it's community um, on Instagram you can check them out and they held a conference last year all about sketching which was really cool to go to um, but yeah that's that's what was the other do you remember any of the other skills I don't I, I, I just remember that sketching was number one and it's funny because when I was in school and putting together my portfolio I really wanted to downplay sketching in my portfolio. You wanted those sexy renders, those sexy. Well, no, models. I didn't even. I I didn't even really do that. I mean, maybe a little bit, but it was more like, I mean, going to Virginia Tech, it was very like research heavy and and all of these things, and 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 so I wanted to tell the story, but tell it in a way that wasn't just like, hey, I'm this guy who can sketch. I I was trying to like bill myself basically as like this this thoughtful mind hmm. and didn't want to pigeonhole myself as a sketcher but <laughs> like what I realized when I started working was if you can sketch quickly and demonstrate your ideas a lot of times I mean in my first job I got assigned really cool projects just because I could demonstrate this ability and demonstrate this ability to think about a lot of ideas very quickly and be able to, and for those ideas to be very legible. Yeah, yeah. You know what's kind of funny, James, as you're saying this, is that, you know, on your Instagram, if you guys don't know James's Instagram, at I draw on receipts, you do a lot of, what are these, what are they called, like continuous line sketches? Yeah. And you've shown me your portfolio and your other sketches and there's you know what i you know what it, it, it equates to um you know how people look at picasso's work and they're like wow like maybe someone who's not educated on picasso will say wow look at that picasso didn't know how to paint so he just started making up shapes and now he's <laughs> famous right well if if you haven't researched picasso or if you don't know him that well picasso actually started as like a very fine artist like he mm-hmm. could paint beautiful you know, exact portraits of people in a very realistic fashion. And he kind of broke that down and divulged it into this uh, modern style that kind of started the entire modern movement. Um, right. And that's how I kind of think about your stuff, James, because you've, you can do really great sketches that like look clean and crisp, but you've kind of broken it down to do these 
more quick and continuous line idea sketches. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting. And the the funny thing is, is that you've never that I can remember. I I don't remember you posting anything at least recently. Any like fancy crisp sketches. Mm. Yeah, I'm not really I'm not really into fancy crisp sketching. Wait, wait, pause for a second. Is correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you were a big design sketcher and you got to what 8,000 or whatever because you did those fancy crisp sketches, right? Like before I knew you, you had like if I scroll back all the way into your feed, I see like more color renderings and like mm. sketchy more traditional kind of sketches. Hmm. Yeah. Is that do you equate that to your Instagram following? I don't know. No, I well, I'm not I'm not sure if that's if that's totally accurate. Cuz no. I I mean, I um gosh, when I started doing it, I mean, I I feel like I treated Instagram very much as a place to experiment okay. because I was doing sort of the crisp sketching at work um, to some degree, and I was I'm I've always been interested in deconstructing the style uh, there, and I shouldn't say that I don't like crisp crisp sketching. God, that's a hard word to say. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I don't like it. I I actually I either like stuff that is super crisp, okay. like cartoonishly crisp, like give me an example. Oh gosh. I mean, I would say like oh, what do you think Reed has that look or no? I mean, mm-hmm. his stuff is pretty crisp. I think it's pretty it's, I don't know if it's cartoonishly crisp. I don't think it's cartoonishly crisp. I think that some of like Cadaver Carl's stuff is cartoonishly crisp. It has a little more playfulness to it, but yeah. but it's also it also is full of energy. Yeah, which is which is something that I really like, and I, I think maybe like Sketch Fresh is is like I very crisp. Yeah, it's very crisp, but it's also very like block colors mm. and things like that, which I equate to being more cartoony. Right. Okay. Um, which I really like. I like that style a lot, and I will like I do some stuff in that style. Um, but I also like the really loose, like, uh, I remember seeing the creative session there, their style, their right. like sketchbook style. Right. And that's kind and, of, I mean, and that's like, oh, would you say they inspired that's Holy you? Grail. Or were you guys kind of on the same plane there? I think they, they probably inspired me to inspired some degree. I mean, I was experimenting with continuous line sketching in college to like generate ideas mm-hmm. because I had learned continuous line sketching in high school. Okay. Um, and didn't really like click with me, like what it was all about until much later when I got to high school and I was taught, it was like lesson number one in high school was continuous line sketching. And I had come into art class, like having done mostly cartoony comic book style and continuous line drawing like just never clicked with me when when it was first assigned right. and when we were going through the exercises but you know continuous line sketching when it comes to observation is about like when you're sketching an object that's in front of you is about true observation right you know and also we didn't really explain what continuous line oh, sketching is but yeah. you know continuous line sketching is when you put your pen on the paper and you draw the entire object without lifting your pen once. Exactly. And there's all kinds of variations. I remember doing blind 
like right. continuous line drawings where well, you'd put your pen on the paper and only look at the object. Like right. in, like in art class, you would only look at the vase with the flowers and you would draw the vase with the flowers. And then once you were done drawing the vase with the flowers, you'd look down at your paper and you just scribbled on it. Like it, <laughs> it made no sense at all. <laughs> right. But, but the, but the intent is to strengthen your observation right. skills. Right. Definitely. And so I kind of, I mean, I don't know if, if I was doing it deliberately, but sort of this idea of observing your mind like mm-hmm. observing your mind like you're an obser- observing an object that's that's beautiful and and so i feel like a lot in a lot of ways continuous line sketching is the most direct correlation between your brain and your hand in that like you're not thinking about okay what line am i going to make next you're right. more thinking about like you know, you're co- sort of traveling across the page and figuring out features right. as you're continuing to draw this. And you're literally drawing relationships between different parts of the object. Right, because you can't lift your pen. Yeah, which helps with form development. Definitely. Um, That's one of the aspects I really like about your style, James, is that is that specific thing, is that you can't lift your pen, so your lines are connecting to other elements in the design and it makes you think a lot more about how all the elements are placed and composed mm-hmm. makes me want to like drop my ballpoint and like pick up a, a, a flare or something <laughs> it's uh you know i actually i've i use the pen that i use most is the the muji gel pen the oh, 0. Okay. 0.5. 0. 0.5 and i've been doing a lot of notebook like i i buy moleskins that have that are like the ruled moleskins okay. like notebook paper right i i find that that's where i do my best sketching interesting actually i've seen a few of the ruled notebook paper because you've done iterations of objects on the mm. rule like the one i'm thinking about right now is the toothbrushes where you did i don't know 20 toothbrushes and they're all sized to the ruling of the paper so they're all like two or three lines like tall and it yeah. looks really like organized and i like yeah. that because it's just like oh if, if it, it makes my ocd <laughs> feel good <laughs> well i think um gosh i'm really indulging myself here uh and you're you are helping helping <laughs> well, I, with that. I love it I love but uh you know one of the things that i that i'm that i've been thinking about like why do i enjoy drawing in in this notebook paper one of the things is i feel like it kind of gets back to that whole drawing in the margins in school like I did yeah. so much drawing on notebook paper in school and I and I feel like it was a place where you kind of did this free thinking. Right. Like you were kind of distracted from class and in your own mind. Right. And and the other thing that I really like about it is I I sometimes like drawing in graph paper, but I feel like having the verticals there kind of it is kind of a constraint. This is so interesting. Is, is maybe a constraint, but I feel I, like having the horizontal lines and only the horizontal lines, it's like, it's a good reference, but it, it doesn't really lock your sketches into like any cubes right, or, you know, right. any like... I, I love this, James, because you haven't told me about this at all, oh, but gosh. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, well, this is how I indulge myself in my own mind. I'm like, why am I drawing in notebook paper? And then I, like, sort of extrapolate this this romanticized reason for it. <laughs> but it's been, it's been really... I don't know. I've really been loving drawing in these, like, moleskin 
ruled notebooks. Hmm, okay. Um, so I think I'm going to continue doing that. But I I use the moleskins without rule. Yeah. I just oh yeah, you're in the page. wild west. I I love just the freedom. Well, I'm, I'm a born born American right here, <laughs> Nick. I feel like I need to reciprocate here to a degree, but I also feel like this is not. I'm not exaggerating when i say these things but i mean when i when i look at your sketching what amazes me is i feel like you have a really excellent understanding of perspective in 2d which like you know you you're working in this in this vr world right where you're literally in perspective right. but i feel like you have and a wonderfully developed sense of perspective in your sketching and is that i mean where does that come from is that just a ton of practice i think it is james i i honestly can't think about like where it comes from or or what it originates from but yeah i mean perspective is something that you just have to practice over time and eventually it's second nature, and I think that's where I'm at right now. It's where, you know, if I see us, if I see something, I can realize like, oh, it's slightly off in this aspect, and I can quickly change it. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that's the truth is, is that there's only one way to get there. Yeah, just practice. And and I guess a, a follow up question is, how, what's the difference between conceiving a sketch that you want to create in VR versus one that you want to do on paper. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I feel like, you know, my, my notebook sketches, you know, they're, they're just spreads in the moleskin and I kind of go around the outside. Like I, I start in the top left and I do little tiny doodles. Like, you know, I just kind of like explore different forms. And if I find a doodle that's interesting and that I think is like a good design, I'll pull that doodle out and make it a little bit larger in the center of the page. Mm. And I'll go all the way around the outside of the moleskin until I get my entire center filled. Like I'll, I'll figure out all the doodles and I'll pick the two best or three best and like fill in the center and make those the focus. So that's kind of like my style for the 2D sketching. 3D is so, it in VR it's such a new medium and I don't have a consistent style yet. I mean I've been experimenting with doing ideation in vr recently um where yeah I, those are really cool yeah it, it's it's so interesting because you can come up with ideas that you couldn't on paper um you know I, you I, can evaluate them differently yeah you can like look around and like see if it's actually a feasible idea um you know i think that i, I i've done like chairs where i'll do it on paper and then take it into vr um, but there's so many different, it, it really depends on the object. I think like when I, when I think about shoes, doing shoes in VR, I just go for it. I just make a shoe and then I start putting, um, lines on it and see where these lines lead in virtual reality. And I think that that freedom is what is so valuable mm-hmm. in VR. Do you think that if you were given the same prompt Say there were two Nicks. Oh, this is interesting. And you were given the same prompt, and one Nick only had paper and pen, okay. and one Nick had VR. 
what would be would would there be a difference in the ideas generated i i think so i think there would be i don't i feel like the vr nick would come up with more of a um maybe like finished solution mm-hmm. like like something that was a little bit farther ahead than the sketch nick um just because vr can go that extra step of like understanding all the aspects of the form instead of just having the 2d like page but i think i think 2d nick would be more free because mm. there's not the constraints of a set of like you know virtual tools that you can use and like I don't know, like you can only pick so many color, you know, it's like a software, right? Like Mm -hmm. software has constraints. A pen and paper is infinite, you know? You don't think pen and paper in itself is a constraint? It's a constraint in itself, but I feel like the, um, the, I feel like your brain is the only constraint when you're thinking about pen and paper, like the idea, right? I, I, I feel like you can explore the idea much more when you're sitting there, with a pen and paper as opposed to in vr you're exploring more form maybe Mm. that maybe that's what it would be ideas versus form yeah i don't know that's a really interesting idea i mean the the idea of having a a 2d sketching versus a 3d sketching what would the outcome be yeah hmm that's beautiful james (laughs) (laughs) making me think tonight um yeah, I don't know. Any, any other thoughts on sketching? We could move into questions. I, I think um, you know there there is one there is one other thing that I that I've been thinking about a lot with sketching. Yeah, what's that? And it's I have I remember from school seeing a lot of talented people around me get very discouraged by their lack of sketching ability. And it might have hindered them in a lot of ways. And I, I see things like VR mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, like for, for some of these people, this could have been an amazing tool. Right. Because, you know, it, like if you can't sketch on paper and apparently according to Core 77, like this is a very valuable skill, like where does that leave you and and i really a ux ui yeah i don't well it the thing that it makes me wonder about is how important is it to draw in perspective i mean just after i've given you this amazing you know like this compliment about your (laughs) abilities with perspective i sometimes wonder like should we first just be teaching people how to draw with parallel lines in sort of a 3d manner almost like an isometric right right versus trying to pull them into perspective some design students have never taken an art class right and some design programs you know they don't put them through any sort of art class training and i just it's something that i wonder about is is the way that design sketching is taught and how it can dissuade yeah i mean i you know like well i already said it like i'm an idea guy like your your sketch doesn't have to be perspective for me to like it if you have a good idea i'm all about it right 
And I think that's what VR is really going to help democratize that is like, you don't have to sketch in perspective in virtual reality because you're already in perspective. Yeah. You just, you just draw the lines how your object is. Yeah. I don't know. And I, and you know, it sort of gets back to the original question, which is like, what is the value of sketching? And it's just, it's, it's communication. Right. So at its root, is there another form of communication that can take its place for a student to be able to demonstrate their thinking ability and yeah, their ideas? Definitely. Like, I, I, you know what makes me, and yeah, not like sad, but like a lot of people want to be great sketchers. And I, I really admire that. I think great sketching is an amazing skill and like people love when they see beautiful sketches. But they're like, how do I sketch better? Like, how, how can I create these great sketches? And, you know, at the end of the day, you can create a great sketch or a bad sketch. You can be the best sketcher in the world. But guess what? It doesn't make you a designer. Mm. I mean, you could be, you could, you could cut things with scalpels all day long. But guess what? It doesn't make you a surgeon. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's great, James. I, I think we had some good points there. Yeah. There's some there's, there's some good thinking points in there's, there. There's there's a lot there's there's a lot to to this conversation and there's a lot more to it. Yeah. But uh, for now let's let's move on to some questions. Okay. Yeah. We had a lot of good questions. Thank you all for sending. Um, our first question comes from John Cecil. He says, "Do you think minimalism is here to stay, or is it another trend? And what style do you think will come after minimalism?" Hmm. This is, I, I don't like when I first saw this question, I was kind of like, are we in a minimalist phase? I don't think we are anymore. I, from a design trend standpoint, I think we're past minimalism. Hmm. Um, that was like a period between, I don't know, 2005 to like 2015, I would say, um, kind of when you know, you remember when iOS came out with like, I think iOS kind of started it just because it's such a prominent thing in our lives. But you remember when the iPhone iOS had the more skeuomorphic mm-hmm. apps and skeuomorphic is like, you know, you had the notes and, it, and you open up the notes and it looked like a notepad or you mm-hmm. had the calculator and it had like these calculator buttons on it. Right. Um, and that's how the first iPhone was. And then eventually they made it more simple and clean and they took away all that kind of real world texture and look to more the simple minimal look right I, I feel like that was kind of the the um this the i don't know marker marker stone for mm-hmm. the trend mm-hmm. so if you follow that and then recently what a couple of years ago they came out with a more like gradient look you know they added the gradients in and like I don't know. They made things a little more, I don't know. I feel like everyone's been doing a little bit more like fancy embellished things. Right. But in terms of industrial design. Industrial design. Yeah. I was diving into UX right there. (laughs) I'm a a UX wannabe. In in terms of industrial design, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like definitely as we will probably continue to talk about them in every podcast, Apple with, I would say probably with the iPad the iPod kind of restarted the minimalist um, or just like reinvigorated the minimalist movement yeah. because you know, the minimalism, uh, 
and sort of modernism because i would think i think modernism and minimalism they're kind of they have some they have some correlations they're not like the same like yeah. time span like if you think historically yeah but, you know they have definitely some you know what i always think james is that it's a pendulum right mm-hmm. you know we we start out doing you know this mid-century modern and then you go into like I don't know, the 70s, and then you go back to modern. You know, I don't know. Right. I'm not going to, like, start naming dates because then I'm going to get everything <laughs> wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, there's there's definitely the correlation between, you know, modernism and, and sort of the Dieter Rams. Like, obviously, there's a direct correlation between what Dieter Rams did and what Apple later did. Right, right. Um Although it's interesting, I remember how exciting it was when Apple like first sort of reemerged after, you know, Steve Jobs had come back and they came out with those iMacs that had the colorful like, ones. The colorful mm-hmm. iMacs with kind of like the glorified interiors yeah. and and that was definitely not minimal. That was not minimal, mm-hmm. but it was i mean it was it it came out in a time when everything was like gray and boxes exactly and and that's what i was saying is like it's a pendulum right like we go so minimal and then we realize like wow our lives are so boring let's add a little spice (laughs) and that's i think that's where we're right now is we're we're going to the dad shoes you know we're in the dad shoes era if you haven't if you ever heard dad shoes are the new trend oh really yeah you, you got some dad shoes on james no, you, you got some nice shoes. They're okay. They're okay. They're kind of boring, actually. You should thanks need some, you thanks need some, a lot. You need some dad shoes. <laughs> Spice up your life. Yeah, I feel like um, I don't know. It, it's such an interesting question because I feel like it's it has to do with societal trends and cultural trends yeah. and you know like where we are just in the world. I feel like a lot of. I don't know, like, do you think that minimalism could be a reaction to all the stimulus yeah. that we have around us? Yeah. And maybe this this minimalist world that we surround ourselves with is a way of kind of quieting all that noise? Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I know that when it came to designing a lot of computers, like when they designed the first laptop or one of the first laptops at IDEO, um, oh, What's his name? Is it Bob Mulder? He, when when they designed it, he realized that he was so focused on the interface that the the laptop pretty much vanished, the object vanished, and so I think for that the user or for they for, forgot about it for the user. Okay, they spent all this time designing and developing this laptop, right. but when they actually interacted with it like you completely forgot about the laptop right. you were so focused and that's sort of the birthplace of ux ui right but it kind of you know looking at the the recent generations of smartphones like every smartphone the screen gets bigger and moves closer to the edge and you're oh, yeah. less and less aware oh, yeah. of the object around it so i i feel like that's that's also you know part of this whole minimalist movement is you know sort of move the object out of the way like down in front like <laughs> let's let's get this object out of the way so we can look at the glorious interface yeah you know you know what i'm thinking is that i feel like there's maybe two different kinds kinds of minimal right mm-hmm. i think there's the idea of like making the object like holistically simple mm. like as Dieter rams has done he has taken an object 
no matter what it is and just simplified it to its pure essence mm-hmm. whereas there's there was this trend slash is this trend nowadays where I, I feel like it's past. I feel like the trend is past. I'm just going to go on record to say that I don't think we're in the minimalist trend anymore. I think that we're in postmodern right now mm. with the inclusion of very like more textural things, more color material finishes. You know, you got the Yves Bahar, like Fuse Project textures. You have like the speckled pattern. You know, you, you have the Google Home with the fabric. I, I think we're past the minimal stage. But what I was saying is like, I feel like you know, making something holistically simple is different than stripping every possible aspect away. I mm-hmm. feel like there was a point, you know, a couple of years ago where people were designing things to be so like stripped away and so like simple that it almost lost its touch. Mm-hmm. But then we swung back. Yeah. I mean, so are when we talk about minimalism, yeah. are we talking purely about form? Or are we talking like because I feel like a lot of the Eves Bahar stuff is minimalism plus texture. Like I, I feel like a lot of that stuff, like do you think of the texture and the patterns as being decorative and therefore not minimalist? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm definitely thinking not functional here. I'm always I'm thinking aesthetic. I see. Minimally aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Cause I, the other thing that I feel like is or was a trend, and I think this is a term that was coined by Karim Rashid, but I think a lot of what I've seen and, and things that I've designed are there, there are this classification of techno organic. And what I mean by that is we talk about the volcano yeah, and, and you know this idea of you have geometric profiles and the transition between them is something more organic or Mm, fluid smooth Mm. yeah yeah i like that you always do those like shapes where you have the outside border and then you have that chamfer that kind of goes inside Mm -hmm. yeah it's almost it's almost like you take you take a profile, you take a shape, and then you extrude it. But instead of extruding it, you know, just straight out uh, you linearly, little, you are extruding it. You have a little curve in there. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that it's curvaceous, something. Curvaceous yeah, lines. It's something curvaceous you see a lot of in, in car design. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like I see a lot of it in product. And I've definitely, I've designed a lot of things that are sort of this this what i would call techno organic and i've seen some of them and i'm excited for you to release them james i don't know if you are you allowed to show the the stuff you've done for like the the exercise equipment are you allowed to show that yet did you show that already i think you showed that actually yeah i showed i showed some of that i think you showed some specifically to me yeah that you didn't post online yeah well you know another a thing i'll say about that okay um I think another thing that we need to think about when we think about form, and this is not a new idea, this is not a concept that I came up with, and I think it was actually something that I that I learned from reading about um, Stefano Giovannini, or Giovannoni, I think is his name. He's a designer that does a lot of things for Alessi, okay. and I consider him to be like one of the top Alessi designers. Right. He's done... He does really beautiful 
like, oh my gosh, some of the best like, you know, metal products for Alessi. Uh, there's there's a dust buster that he did that is like it's <laughs> it's gorgeous but he also does these really like high kitsch kind of objects right. so he does he has this um, toilet bowl brush that looks like a potted plant oh yes I've seen it um, and I was reading about one of his designs one of his first designs that he did for Alessi which is just it's like this series of bowls and plates that and I think they're like serving bowls and plates that have like cutouts of like little people, like almost like gingerbread men. Yeah. Okay. And, and I was reading about it and it's like one of Alessi's most successful products. Oh, really? That sounds it's, odd. It's crazy. Okay. I, and, and, and maybe that's inaccurate, right. but, but reading about, you know, his thought process behind it, it was all about tapping into people's memories of like thinking about you know back when you were in elementary school you fold oh. the paper and you cut out the person and, they, and then you unfold it all holding hands yeah and it's that's one thing that i don't think i i don't know that i had that many discussions about form in this context of thinking about how do you tap into memories and feelings and, and emotion yeah and and like and how can those memories allow the object to fit better within the person's environment right that's really good i feel like we kind of uh do we answer the question i feel like we did right yeah i don't i don't know that we're in a minimalist phase i definitely see there are still minimalist objects that are being created but i also feel like we're in this time where people have this amazing access to every era of design and i think we're kind of in a time period where everything's up for grabs we're mixing it up we're mixing it up yeah great question john thanks for sending that in um the next question we had comes from daniel and he says can marketing and branding make products good design is it the power you know like can you slap on a logo and it be a great product mm. he's thinking of a lot of like hype brands like supreme and Yeezys and off-white mm-hmm. and that's a good question can the power of a brand make something a good design and then he also goes on to say does good sales make something a good design Ooh. <laughs> yeah well i'm interested to hear what you have to say nick well as, as you know i'm a hype beast i'm a hype beast wannabe yeah. i'm not a hype beast yet but i'm hopefully never get to there one day i just want to be one <laughs> <laughs> um i think branding obviously is uh, super important i mean it, brands are huge i mean they you know you can associate a logo with the quality of a product and it takes years and centuries and decades to build that brand um i mean when it comes to like supreme and the hype brands that's where it's a little iffy because you know sure they make clothes that are fashionable per se i guess i mean we're, we're gonna dive into fashion here we are not qualified to talk about this but <laughs> i don't know that we're qualified to talk about hype beasting <laughs> are we qualified to talk about design that's the real question <laughs> Could somebody please design us a qualification and send it to us? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think branding does add 
okay from a design from a design standpoint i think a branding element can add a bit of quality to a design Mm. like specifically i'm thinking about form factor here right you have you know a blank slate of an object say you have a cup or you know whatever it is a laptop and you have the opportunity to add a little logo somewhere yeah i think that makes that product just a little bit nicer yeah and i don't know what it is about that detailed element i think it is just because it's a big blank object and adding that small detail to an element makes it a little bit more I don't know, enticing, I guess. Right, right. And and I can also think of instances where adding a logo does the opposite. Or at least mm. some logos there's, that... There's definitely some bad applications of logos, certainly. Yeah, but the thing that I think is so interesting I, I'm, about... I'm thinking about American Eagle circa like 2008. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I'm not kidding, but Well, continue. no, I... I I hate to throw them under the bus because I I like a lot of their new products, American a lot Eagle? of the audio products. No, oh, okay, but I don't. I think especially on the watches, I really don't like the Shinola branding. Oh, I, Shinola. Okay. Yeah, I think um, I think that it kind of cheapens the product. Interesting. And, it, and it's not even at all about the quality or the name. I think it's purely the logo. Like I don't think that it that it directly correlates to the product offerings. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I really love a lot of the new work that's that's coming out of there through Astro Studios for their audio equipment. Yeah, the the Shinola products. You went to their store what in Dumbo? Was yeah, it? and it's it's a really great store, and the products are great, and they look great. I just. I have like a little bit it, it's just on the watches I really don't like the Shinola typeface and the bolt you think in it's the too, watch. You think it's too big? I feel like every time I see a logo that I don't like it's just because it's slightly too big. Maybe. Or maybe it's just I I don't know. It's it's like like maybe if they just put the bolt in there rather than the logo type, it it might be different, but it feels there just seems to be a clash between the the product and the logo. It feels maybe too like youthful, or I, I don't know. I it's, think it's too big. I think it's too big. I maybe, that, but you got to make things being, smaller. That being said, um, I I want to talk about Supreme for a second. Yeah, give it to me. I love Supreme because I mean I'm a Supreme. I'm a hype beast wannabe, like yeah. I said. So I love Supreme, but I don't buy any. Yeah, I. I I hate slash love Supreme, and and um, I'll tell you why. Why? I I think the reason that I I hate them is because of like this whole just like make it red, slap on the logo, like we have a sale, right? But the reason that I love them is because they do celebrate a lot of really iconic or really great. I don't just like great products. It's it's almost like it would be the ultimate compliment to have a design be taken and have the Supreme logo and the coloring put onto it. I mean, they've done they put a Supreme logo on a pinball machine. I mean, they've done all kinds of products. Yeah. Recent well, recently they did one of the new Bang and Olufsen speakers. Oh yeah, I saw that. And I actually thought that it kind of looked. I thought it looked kind of better than 
the Bang & Olufsen <laughs> offering. I was like, that's kind of cool. I don't know. But I don't know that I could rock it. Yeah. It's it's for a special person. Um, well, a hypebeast person. Yeah. Um, were there any examples of bad designs selling well that you can think of? Oh, gosh. This the is pet hard. rock? The pet rock, maybe? No. no? That's such a brilliant branding exercise. <laughs> I don't know. I think the pet rock is is pretty great. No, like... I, you know, I, mean, I feel I mean, like that's the... in a category all of its own. Okay. Yeah, we can, that's, because I feel like, it, you know, that's like selling to kids and like also thinking about all the collectible crazes that went on. I, when I, I, was I can a see kid. how that is separate from this conversation. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I'm, I, can you think of anything that's, that's bad that's uh, sold well? Bad. I, the only thing that I can think of is dad shoes and it's the new trend right now. What is a dad shoe? Well, if Nick. you haven't heard about it, you you know, uh, are you familiar with uh, Skechers? <laughs> it's the S, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, just think about like a nice white Skechers shoe where you know someone just scribbled lines every which way, and you know there's a whole lots of there's a lots of lines going on, and uh, that's the new trend nowadays. You, are you are you referring to as well the Yeezy Seven Hundreds, the Wave Runners? those shoes mm-hmm. I, i'm not i'm not a hype beast yet i'm learning but uh i'm not familiar with those brand, those shoes they're um oh gosh this is why we need a visual element to this <laughs> podcast where's your keyboard well okay i just because i want to verify that you're talking about these as being dad shoes okay because i've also seen um i've also seen a lot of other shoes coming out in this style or at least getting more popular. I think about a. There's that brand called Balenciaga. I believe. Yeah. They exactly. They, they do a lot of really. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. You just so pulled that's. Up, yeah. You pulled up the Easy 700 Rave Runners, and yes, those are dad shoes. Those are dad shoes. Mm-hmm. That's what. What dad is wearing those shoes? Well, think about if your dad went to a thrift shop and saw these, he'd be like, "Oh, those are nice. Look how cushiony they are." And he'd buy him. I don't know that everybody has your dad, Nick. Oh, my dad loves that cushion. He also loves the ankle support. Oh. You got to have those so high, high tops. Are you specifically talking about the amount of sole to shoe race ratio? Yes. And the thing is, is that the sole to shoe ratio, when you see those, usually those shoes have a lot of things going on. There's just a lot of elements to them. Mm. Now, here's the thing that I will say about the Yeezy 700s. When I saw pictures of them, I was like, oh, God, gross. And then you looked at them too long. Well, maybe. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you can hear a bad song so many times that you end up singing all the words. Right. But I, um, I recently saw a pair on somebody at work, and I was like, those are actually, those are actually kind of cool. I don't know. I I don't know. It's I happening. don't know if it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. I mean, oh my god! Please stop me before I spend seven hundred dollars at Supreme. <laughs> yeah, I. Well, I'm sure that if you ever spend seven hundred dollars, I would definitely have spent already like ten thousand. Yeah, because I am like this close to becoming a hype beast. <laughs> What's your? What would be your first purchase? Mm, I think it would just be a plain white tee with the Supreme logo. 
Oh, mm, you know, your initiation tea. My my just a, I like that. I'll, I'll have to start simple, then I'll have to divulge into the dad. Sheet. Yeah, well, you know, they they make that red for the supreme from the blood of virgins. <laughs> oh, <no>. sacrifices. <laughs> so you'll have to wow. you'll have to go to that first sacrificial meeting okay. in order to get okay. your. Well, initiation tea okay i don't know if i should uh, support that uh sa- <laughs> the supreme sacrifices or not um but yeah daniel that was a great question i you know we're not qualified to talk about branding but um you know we hope you get we hope you got something out of that um and we also wanted to touch on one one last question here another question comes this question comes from ryan seer sire uh, mm-hmm. he says hey james and nick i'm a 20 year old um 29 year old 29 year old and he's married with two kids and about to make a big career change and going back to school to get his master's in design. Uh, he's thinking about architecture or industrial design, and he's just kind of like looking for our advice. Like, what's he in for? Will life be a, a well, is it going to come down on him? Like, yeah, I don't know. Well, I can only speak about my design school experience. Right. I mean, one thing is, is that I, I was... I was in my foundation studio with a father of two children. Okay. Married. Hey, that that means there's someone out there that's doing the same thing. I don't think, like, this is not, you know, you're not alone in in that sort of description going back to school. And and I don't think that it's something that should dissuade you necessarily from following that path. But I don't know if you've, if you're currently a designer and and or you're getting into design but i will say like i remember my foundations year i actually did a i actually transferred into industrial design in school uh and i had to do a qualifying summer studio okay which was the first year of design foundations crunched into a summer and there were some real low points to that summer because was it just tough like what do you it was it was tough and it was it was basically shattering all my preconceived notions about what design was and and it was just like it was it was kind of back to where i was when i in my freshman year in art in art class in high school art class where i felt like all the things that I thought I knew about drawing were right. completely thrown out the window. Yeah. And similarly in design school to the point where I was just like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But then like one day it clicked and, it, and I, I wouldn't say that like now I just get design right. and design comes easy. <laughs> but there was a day where, where I just remember like over like, overcoming this huge hurdle um Hmm. and uh you know i feel like you just have to be you just have to be in it like and and focused on you know just moving forward and figuring it out yeah i mean that's i mean that's that's definitely good to hear james i mean like thinking about also that one guy that was in your class that was already had two kids like ryan does i mean you know i i'm single and i don't have any kids like i you know i'm just like a bachelor um so i don't know how much advice i can give you ryan but what i will say is like i am obviously like all in support of just doing 
doing what you love. You know, mm-hmm. I, you only have one life. And, and if you decided that at 29, it's time to pursue this passion you have, then go do it. You yeah. Know? Um, so I, I'm all in support of you, Ryan. So I don't know how much, I don't know if yeah. I have much advice for you, advice for you, but. Well, one more thing. Well, I, I guess a couple more things. Okay. Let's I, hear it, I'm sorry. I got a lot of opinions about this, but I, I feel like another thing is, is that I think possibly, and I can't speak from experience about this, but I think possibly having a family and children will help you to prioritize your time in design school. Whereas there are often a lot of people that just meander and sort of (laughs) hang out in studio and never leave. And I feel like it's really valuable in school to like, to be able to prioritize and just like get your ducks in a row. Like it's, you know, it's like, there's I, yeah you I know can, what i mean i can see that prioritizing is very important i also think that maybe you should you should mingle a little bit too yeah you should absolutely mingle but but i think that a lot of people who end up spending all of their time in studio are the people who like only know how to design for designers yeah they're a little lost maybe yeah um but you know i think that initially you're probably going to have to spend a good deal of time in studio but I, but another thing that I think you should consider is the school that you're that you're going to apply to, because there are schools out there like um, University of Cincinnati and Drexel that have. Uh, I don't know if Drexel has a grad program, but they have co-ops built in to their, okay, um, to their programs, right? And so it's, I, I mean. I feel like if you're concerned about job placement after this whole experience, like that those kind of programs are focused on doing just that, Mm, on getting you exposed to the professional world as soon as possible. That's definitely good. Definitely important. Um, Yeah, Ryan, I, I admire your, uh, your uh, perseverance and stuff. So maybe we'll follow up with you on that just personally. But, um, yeah, great questions, everyone who sent it in. Um, and I guess we oh, we kind of ran a little long, but that's okay. Um, we also, every week, we like to give a little shout-out to someone who we think is doing cool work on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, we want to shout-out Knack Design Studio. Uh, Knack is, is K-A-K-N-A-C-K. Mm-hmm. Um, and Knack Design Studio is a small studio founded by kelly custer and she's really interesting she does a lot of like her, her sketching style is very crisp and clean oh it's beautiful one of the cleanest yeah and she recently did a interesting project where um you can 3d print out a coat hanger that hangs on a like a stop sign yeah and so people can like leave their old coats for homeless people yeah which i thought was a cool project i thought it was really cool and i thought that the insight of using the stop sign as as a place to hang this right. this, this this to post this hanger because it has the holes in it i thought that that was such like a beautiful insight right and i love it because like i didn't get it at first but like i started like reading about it and looking into like the video and all the other images and i'm like oh it just clicked i mean i thought it was a really nice clean project yeah i kind of want to print one out now yeah because we have our maker pods oh man 
It, I, yeah, it's great, and and I love I love seeing her sketches because I think she has some of the best line work in the game. Yeah, like crispy. Yeah, so crisp. So, so check her out, Knack Design Studio again. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think this was a good episode. Of course, you can send your questions into minor details podcast at gmail.com. Check out all the images and links at minor details podcast.com. Um, of course my Instagram handle is Nick P Baker. And I am at I draw and receipts and yeah, well, uh, I'll see you guys next week. Peace out later.